Our scripture reading for this morning will be coming from Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 47. I'll be reading in the New American Standard Bible Translation. Um, if you would like to follow along in a like translation and you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there should be a Bible in the chair in front of you below. Um, and the text for today will be on page 68 of the New Testament towards the end of the book. Uh, please stand in honor of God's holy word. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, watching. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also ridiculed him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other responded and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the entire land until the ninth hour. Because the sun stopped shining, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And having said this, he died. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, This man was in fact innocent. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word today. Be seated, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you that while we're so aware that without you we can do nothing and we we are nothing and we learn nothing, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. So we're here today, Lord, as... Uh, those whose hearts are open, knowing that apart from you we can do nothing, but thank God we are not apart from you. We've come as your children to ask your blessing upon our ears and my mouth today that we not uh, misuse or misinterpret what you've said to us through your precious book. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Well, the title of my sermon this morning is A Sinner Saved by Grace. And of course, that refers to the scripture that was just read in your hearing of this uh, thief or malefactor who was hanged next to Jesus 
uh, one on one side, one thief on one side, and the other on the other. All four gospel writers mention these two uh, thieves, but only Dr. Luke uh, mentions this conversation. Um, and you have to remember the four gospels uh, are not are never contradictory, they're complementary. To get the whole story, you need all four Gospels. But aren't we thankful for Dr. Luke and his attention to detail, as we heard this morning in Sunday school? If the question arises in your mind as to why Matthew, Mark, and John omitted this conversation, I'd like to take a moment to uh, remind you that John was the only apostle who was actually there. Um, the apostles had all forsaken the Lord and run for fear of their lives. Peter had decided to spend the rest of his life fishing. And to watch Jesus actually die to be there would have put them at risk and also uh, would have been extremely painful knowing they had run away from him in his hour of need. For some reason, John was able to come back, for we read uh, in John 19, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, John never named himself, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to that disciple, Behold your mother. So clearly John was there. And you have to wonder why he didn't mention this conversation. But John, remember, said in his gospel, I've omitted so many things Jesus did. If everything Jesus did and said were written in books, the world could not contain those books. But I've selected just certain things to highlight his claims of discipleship. And imagine standing there for several hours uh, I'm an old man with some bladder issues. I can't imagine standing anywhere for an hour. And I'm sure there were no porta potties. Excuse me, I hate to be down to earth here, but just imagine t having to stand there for hours. So John might have been taking a break <laughs> and and missed this little conversation. But Luke, but I also, but Luke was not there either. Doctor Luke was not present. But remember what he said in chapter 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order the declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us which were from the beginning were eyewitnesses, that is, those that were eyewitnesses there, I wasn't, but they delivered them to us, and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you in order, most excellent Theophilus. So Dr. Luke wasn't there, but he did more research than any of the other gospel writers. He interviewed the other apostles. And there were also some other interesting people there, women that Dr. Luke mentions. 
John 19.25, there stood by the cross of Jesus. No apostles except John. But there was Mary, his mother, his mother's sister, Jesus' aunt, if you're in Virginia, aunt if you come from Indiana, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. So there were three Marys and one unnamed aunt of Jesus. And I'm sure Dr. Luke interviewed them. (laughs) And Dr. Luke, probably being a Gentile and not a threat to the Romans as much, probably interviewed the centurion that stood at the base of the cross when Jesus died and said, truly, that was a righteous man. He saw the way Jesus died, his majesty, his composure, his grace, and said, surely this man was righteous. And Dr. Luke interviewed all kinds of people and wrote of this incident between these two thieves that were crucified with Jesus. Now let me go back and read just a few, uh, five verses, which is the, the meat of what I want to say this morning, and this time in the King James Version. And a superscription was also written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. Some translations say Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. This is the king of the Jews. Remember, the Jews had insisted that Pilate change that to say, please don't write that. Put over him, he said he's the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. Inadvertently, he was forced into his position by the Jews to condemn Christ, and he resented them tremendously for it. It was a political act of political necessity. Pilate's own wife had the dream before, said, please, I've suffered many things in a dream because of that man. And Pilate ignored her. He bowed to political pressure to satisfy the Jews. He condemned Jesus, but he resented it. And put on there, this is the king of the Jews. So we have this by way of a setting. One of the malefactors, we say malevolent, it's a word that has to do with evildoer. One of the other translations call them thieves. They were hanged, railed on him, saying, if thou be the Christ... Save yourself and us. Remember, that's the same thing Satan has said to Jesus after his baptism. A voice from heaven had said to Jesus, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Satan observed that baptism, and immediately Jesus goes into the wilderness, and Satan says, If you're the Son of God, Command these stones to be made bread. But Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He had been baptized into our humanity. From then on, he would be acting as our representative in our place. He would not exercise his prerogative as God to make bread. 
He put himself in our place. He would not yield to the devil's temptation. But here this thief says, if, if he railed on him, if you're the son of God, if thou be the Christ, save yourself and us. So here he talks to the Lord, but he was not interested in things eternal. He didn't want to address the issues of his own guilt. He only wanted relief from death. He wanted a temp- There are a lot of people that follow Jesus just for temporal advantage. Maybe to please their husband or wife or mother or father. Maybe it's good for business sometimes in some cultures. But they're not interested in things eternal. They're not interested in the glory of God or the death of Christ. They see Christ as a religion as kind of a utilitarian thing. But the other answered and said, rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God? Seeing we are in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. There are several things to note about these two thieves. Both of them were dying. And my friend, in case you haven't noticed lately, you're dying. We're all dying. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. That's an appointment we're all going to keep. Some of us are a lot closer than, than you are to that great day of reckoning. Both thieves were guilty before God. They had done things worthy of death. My friends, we have all done things worthy of death. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die, he said to Adam. Eve wasn't there, by the way, when God told that to Adam. She had to receive that information secondhand. One day they're walking through the garden, and Eve said, boy, there's a pretty tree. And Adam says, ah, God said we we can't eat that one. We can eat anything else in here, but not that one. It's been my theory that if when Eve ate the fruit and offered it to Adam and said, honey, I ate it and I didn't, look, it's good. He could have said, God, the woman you gave me, please forgive her. God would have forgiven her. There would have never been any sin. It was Adam's sin. He disobeyed a direct command from God. You want to please your wife, but you don't obey your wife. You love your wife. You obey God. And your wife must follow you as you follow Christ. Oh, how we need that in our generation. How we need to understand that in our generation. Both were guilty before God. We are guilty before God. Both of those thieves, by the way, reviled Jesus. This is not found in Luke, but it's found in in Matthew and Mark. 
Mark chapter 15, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. They, both of them. In Matthew 27, the thieves also, verse 44, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth, the way the King James says it. So both of those thieves, one on either side of Jesus, both of them had reviled him initially. But somehow during that hanging there on the cross for several hours and watching him, and by the way, he was beat up and bloodied more than either one of the other two. He was marred beyond recognition. He was so battered. The one thing I appreciate about Mel Gibson's passion, this movie about the passion, there were, there's some artistic license in there that we might find a little objection to. <clears throat> like throwing him off that bridge, that's all. That's not in the narrative anywhere. But it does show the brutality we forget how brutal that crucifixion of Jesus was. They beat him and beat him and beat him. The lashing alone would have killed most men. No wonder he couldn't carry his cross. He was so bloodied, and yet he was able to think of others in his dying moments. And he had said from the cross... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, friend, I can't fathom. I've never watched too very many people die. It's mostly been in a hospital with anesthesia and things like that, but I've never seen anybody die a horrible death. But I can't imagine having the grace to say, Father, forgive them. Stephen found it, remember? Oh, Father, lay not this sin to their charge, because he was full of the same spirit. But that takes special grace. And this thief, the second thief, heard him say that. Father, forgive them. He heard him say wonderful things, his last words from the cross. And somehow during that time, he got converted. William, Dr. William Hendrickson brings that out, that clearly the only way to account for that change in him from reviling Jesus to saying, this man has done nothing amiss, and then to turn around and say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The only account for that change is that he was converted right there on the cross. The last conversion that occurred when Jesus walked here in human flesh was this thief on the cross and he's worthy of being studied for that reason. The amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, you know our definition here, I think it's been adopted now by the church of grace, is not unmerited favor. If a a beggar approaches me at Walmart I get hit right regularly. Hey, can you spare a dollar or two or something? And I go against my better judgment often and give him something. That's unmerited favor. He didn't earn that. I don't even know him or her. But something just compelled me to give him a buck or two. That's unmerited favor. But that's a cheap definition of grace. 
Grace is G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. And I've said before, if you're asleep one night and a burglar breaks into your house and takes everything you have and wakes you up, startles you, and then your son runs out and this thief murders your son. And you wake up, and you run out into the night, and you pursue him, chasing down the street and catching And say, listen, please, come home. I want to give you my son's inheritance. What? That's the grace of God, friends. God manifested his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ was there dying on the cross for the thief next to him who deserved to die. The first thief that only reviled Jesus did not say a word to him. He said, save us, save us, get it temporally, get us off the cross. If you're the son of God, Jesus didn't even answer him. Remember Peter one time had said to Jesus, he took him and began to rebuke him, said, you're not going to go to Jerusalem and die. By implication, not with me around. That's not going to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. There would have been no salvation for anybody had Jesus come down from that cross. Don't you think I could call 12 legions of angels? One angel in the camp of the Assyrians in one night killed 185,000 warriors. One angel did that. One angel went through the land of Egypt and killed all the firstborn in one night. You wonder why people are afraid of angels. And Jesus said, don't you think I could ask my father and he would send 12 legions of angels? No one took his life from him. He laid it down of himself. Blessed Jesus. We can't know their names of these two men. We can't know their crimes or their motivations. The scripture doesn't see fit to tell us that. But we have to resort to what we do know. One, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. One of the two pastors that ordained me at Virginia Beach Community Chapel back in 1975 used to tell the story of a little boy who made a sailboat. Painstakingly, he painted the rigging, he made the sails and put every little detail of all the sailors and the chocks and the, the lines and everything. It was, a, it was a masterpiece. And one day while he was sailing it out on a little pond, the wind took it away from him and took it clear to the other side of the pond. The little boy ran around. He was about 12 years old. He ran all around the other side of the lake and it was gone. He couldn't find it. And then one day, a couple of weeks later, he was walking down the main street in his town and saw that sailboat in the window of a toy store with a $50 price tag on it. 
And the little boy went in there and he says, Mr., that's my boat in the window. He said, oh, no, it isn't. I bought it from someone just a couple of days ago. And the little boy, it says, was heartbroken. He got a lawnmower. He, mowed, he, he, he carried groceries for people. He cut grass for people, hoping that boat would still be there. And he, he raised $50, and he went back to the store, and he, he bought the little boat. He bought his boat back. And on the way home, that boy was heard to say, Little boat, you're twice mine. I made you and I bought you. So it is with every sinner who's saved. God made us and paid. What a price to buy us back, to redeem us. We're bought not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that lamb without spot and without blemish, who was foreordained for this, but was manifest in these last days for you. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Grace. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one the Pharisee and the other a publican. The publican wouldn't even lift... Uh, the Pharisee said, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like other people. You know, I fast, I tithe, I sing in the choir, I do all kind of stuff. But the publican wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went down to his house justified and not the other. For everyone who humbles himself shall be exalted, and he that exalts himself shall be humbled. And this thief on the cross humbled himself. We deserve, we deserve to die. Not only temporally, we deserve to die eternally. Think about it. What did Adam and Eve do that, Adam and Eve do that was so horrible that they had to die? Many people raise that question. They ate some fruit. Big deal. They didn't murder anybody. But in doing that, they rejected God and decided to be their own gods. It was a rebellion against a specific, clear command of God that Adam did that. And we're all born with that cloud hanging over us. It's in the genes. We're sinners. How about you? Do you believe that Jesus is the sinless, crucified, risen, reigning, and coming again, Lord of glory, seated at the Father's right hand? Sit at my right hand, son, till I make your enemies your footstool. Why do the kings of earth rage? 
whether it's Putin or Biden or white of the kings of earth, the one thing they will not have is Jesus Christ to reign over them. But he that sits in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. I have set my king upon my holy hill in Zion. Make no mistake about it, Jesus Christ is the ruler of all this world, of every nation, of every man whose breath is in his hands. We're here only today because it's his pleasure that we be here today. Those two thieves were there by God's appointment, crucified next to Christ. And God gave one of those thieves repentance to give us all hope. Now, I think it's dangerous. In fact, I know it's dangerous to wait for uh, deathbed conversions. You say, well, you know, I'm young. When I get Pastor Gwen's age and I'm about ready to croak, I'll call on the Lord then. But you don't know, friends, what a day may bring forth. You don't know if you're going to make it to my age. Read the newspaper. It's not just octogenarians who die. Every day we find some young person has died very unexpectedly. A very foolish thing. So this is in there, Matthew Henry says, this one single episode of a last-minute conversion is in the Bible that none may despair. When you go visit old people that spent their whole lives running away from God, there's hope for them because they, God can convert them at the last minute. He proved it here. It wasn't just the 11th hour for this thief. It was the last 10 minutes of the 11th hour. He couldn't be baptized. He couldn't give a gift. All he could do was call on Jesus. All that the Father giveth me will come to me, Jesus said. I have manifested your name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world, Father, Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. All that the Father giveth me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. You can't be so bad, Jesus ain't going to take you in. And I'm so thankful for that, believe me without going into any nasty details about my past, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. And he calls some people very late in life. So this is in here that none may despair, or if you have a loved one in your family who's not saved and they're near the end, don't despair. God can still call them at the last minute. But it's also a lone example in Scripture that none may presume that you're going to be able at the last minute. You don't know how long you'll be able to even think straight. I've visited people that could no longer understand the gospel. Their minds were just gone. They were still alive, but for all practical purposes, they couldn't believe. And I remember the story of R.C. Sproul debating an Arminian professor in a college, and they were talking about the passage in Luke 6.44 that says, No man can come to me except the Father 
which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And this uh, Arminian professor said, Dr. Spruill, being a Calvinist, is going to tell you that no one can come to, to Christ unless, it be, unless he be drawn by God. But that's just the Greek word, draw, is the Greek word for drawing water out of a well. You just go to the well and draw it out. So Dr. Spruill spoke next. He says, my learned colleague is exactly correct. It's the same Greek word that means draw water out of a well. But what do you do? Stand at the top of the ground and say, here, water, water, water. No, you have to force the water up out of the ground. God has to perform a a work of regeneration before you can believe. John Gerster said the greatest lesson he learned was that regeneration precedes faith. Or as Jesus said, except a man is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God, let alone embrace it. He can't even see it. So the only explanation for this thief on the cross is sometime during those three hours when he was hanging there with Jesus, he went from being a reviler to a believer. And what does he say? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's faith. We're dying now, but you're, you're the king. As Gabriel had said earlier to Mary, you shall call his name Jesus. And God's going to give him the throne of his father David and of his kingdom. There will be no end. No end. And Jesus all along had been talking about the sheep and the goats standing before him. Remember the two disciples, the mother that came and said, let my son sit on either side in your kingdom. And Jesus, that's not mine to give. My father, that's of my father. But there is a kingdom. Jesus is the king. In fact, he's king of kings and lord of lords. Stoop to save a lost creation. He found himself in fashion as a man and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Jehovah to the glory of God the Father. Now, friends, that's the way it is. I'm telling you the truth today. I'm telling you the truth. So what must you do then to be saved? It isn't believe and be baptized. It isn't believe and do good works. It's believe. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not die but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And the wrath of God abideth on him. 
By the way, Dr. Henry Brandt says when you're trying to talk to people about things, about reason with them about faith, the point, the fruitlessness of arguing. Dr. Henry Brandt was a Christian psychologist. I used to hear him speak when he spoke at campus crusade rallies. He's probably with the Lord now, but he said, I've learned more from 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 than all my degrees put together in psychology. And that got our attention. And the verse says, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, those people that are, uh, worldlings are out there working against their, themselves. The thing that they want is peace and joy and happiness and fulfillment, but they won't give up their sin. So they're in opposition to their own best interests. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance according to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. He said, I learned more about counseling from 2 Timothy 2, 24 than all my degrees put together. So we don't argue with people. We present the gospel and know that the Holy Spirit's going to have to open their hearts. He's going to have to give them repentance. If God, peradventure, he gave one thief repentance, the other one he left alone who's now been screaming in hell for 2,000 years with an eternity to follow. But God doesn't want us to get burned. God came to save sinners. He sent his son out of love. He sent his son. His hand is stretched out still. And notice the simplicity of this man's prayer, how much he understood about Jesus. It's not clear. But he did call on him and say, Lord, Lord, or Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all it takes is a simple prayer. Now, I'm personally not in favor of uh, altar calls and a lot of uh, emotional singing, just as I am 45 times until someone finally comes to relieve the poor preacher. Playing on people's emotions because that which is done emotionally in the moment is often unreal. I tell people, you go have a talk with the Lord this afternoon. You talk to Jesus. Don't go talk to the preacher and the elder. You talk to Jesus. And if I read right, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. Who, this thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he was saved. We don't know his name, but we will know it in eternity. And I'm going to run and give that guy a big hug. What an encouragement you are to millions of people down through the ages that lived their, wasted their whole lives. And just as they were dying, suddenly the lights turned on and they accepted Christ. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give us grace today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and find the same salvation. And may we all be remembered in his kingdom when he comes in glory. Amen.